Welcome to the Cotton Specialist Corner Podcast. I'm Steve Brown, Extension Agronomist at Auburn University. And with me are Guy Collins and Camp Han, the Extension Agronomist and Cotton Specialist at their respective universities. Guy is from NC State and Camp is from University of Georgia. And today our topic is cotton seed quality, and particularly some of the projects we've been involved in in the past several years. And cotton seed quality really has become an increasingly important topic if for no other reason, it's an issue of cost. And in the mid-1990s, before we entered the transgenic era, a bag of seed weighed 50 pounds and cost about $35. And today, a bag or what might be called a unit consists of a specific seed count that is common when it would be 230,000 seed per bag. And that, along with premium seed treatments and the technology, may cost as much as $800 in some parts of the cotton belt. Really, regardless of the region of the country and the various seed drop rates and pricing zones, the total cost of that bag includes, again, the seed, the pest management technologies, and possibly seed treatments. But the seed is an important part, but it's only a fraction of the total cost. But still, the seed is the all-important carrier for everything. So seed quality has become very, very important. And Guy, why don't you give us some background on why the Extension Cotton Specialist Working Group initially tackled the seed quality issue? Cotton seed quality has been a very big issue in North Carolina and really across the cotton belt. But for us, back in 2019, we had a scenario that transpired where we had really good planting conditions, which is abnormal for us in the very early part of our planting window, which typically begins in late April or early May. And in that particular year, we had just really ideal conditions to plant cotton right at the 1st of May. And naturally, folks just started planting immediately. And there was a couple of varieties, one in particular, and it was really unique to just one or two seed lots. But under excellent conditions, some growers started noticing poor stands. And that became somewhat of a head-scratcher because, you know, right across the path would be a variety that was known to be lower vigor or smaller seed, and it got an excellent stand. And the more of that that occurred, the more questions got asked. And naturally, we got involved and come to find out that that seed quality, as advertised, was not what it should have been in those particular lot numbers. And the reason for that was attributed to dormancy issues and some other things. But the bottom line was we had ideal planting conditions and still got a poor stand. And so that kind of got us digging a little bit and going down this road of seed quality. And lo and behold, it had happened before. We just did not know it. And in many circumstances, the finger could be easily pointed to poor planting conditions. In other words, cool weather or wet weather or packing rain or something like that, that poor stands were attributed to. In a lot of cases, that probably was the reason in years prior. But this got us concerned basically because of what you said earlier, the significant proportion of our production cost is tied up in seed. And naturally that goes out the day you plant. 
so there is reason to be concerned about cottonseed quality. Now, with that said, the large, large majority of the cottonseed that we plant is of good quality. But the more we got into this issue, the more we started digging around. And it may be more complex than just simply warm and cool germ. It's an interesting topic for sure, but it is still of concern and is evolving. And I think y'all would agree in your respective states too. So our first round of studies was actually led by one of our guys who's now moved on to another position. But help me remember, the states involved included Virginia to Texas. Is that right? I believe that was the case. I want to say it went beyond that in the initial rounds of at least research. But in terms of the monitoring program that our Department of Ag established, it was essentially just North Carolina to start with, and there's been other states that it kind of expanded in terms of their interest and contribution to that. In terms of the Extension Cotton Specialist Working Group, we initiated experiments in 2020, I believe, and we looked at various parameters. Camp, do you recall some of those investigations and some of the things we looked at in that round of studies? Yeah, so I wasn't at Georgia at the time, but I do know that we asked growers to give us some of their seed, right? So it had to be grower purchased seed. I think it was 12 different seed lots that we were looking at. And we took stand counts and first fruit and branch, and then of course carried that out to yield and fiber quality and things like that. But there was also all the lab tests that were done on it, like warm and cool germ oil percent, protein, fatty acid profile, I believe, was conducted on those same seed lots. And I believe over two years that we looked at over 500 unique seed lots. I believe that is correct. Our standard measure of seed quality has been, of course, as you mentioned, warm and cool germ. And as you mentioned in those studies, we did look at some other things. We're really trying to find Maybe there's another measure that would give us the best indication of seedling vigor. And do you recall the results, the final analysis of that? Essentially, that first round of studies was more or less a survey of what kind of seed quality is out there and how much variation is there. And I want to say for the most part, the seed that were included in the study were of fairly good quality in general, but there was some variation especially when we look at all those different parameters. And Camp may have more to say about that, but it really just illustrated to me what that variability was across the belt and across different seed storage conditions and things of that nature. Yeah, I think the big take-home message from that study was that over 90% of the seed lots that were evaluated were of acceptable quality. And there is really less than 10% that would have been questionable, which is a really good thing, right? I mean, you pay that much money for a bag of seed. Of course, ideally, you want every single one of them to come up, right? But, you know, I think that over 90% being acceptable is a testament to the industry and the emphasis that they've even placed on it as well. Yeah, I know we swapped grower seed, and then we sent those to the North Carolina Department of Ag, and they gave us some readings. And as Guy mentioned, they weren't overly different there. So what the company reported generally was found by the NC Department of Ag. And as you look back over the past several years, what do you think 
farmers in the Carolinas learned about seed quality, Guy? What's been the things that they've seen on the farm and they've considered in this whole process of a greater focus on cottonseed quality? I think really what they've learned is to pay attention to it. So, you know, in a lot of years, and in most cases, we have, you know, very good seed quality. And if we're planting that in good conditions, we really don't realize an issue. You know, as long as we're achieving good stands and early season vigor, then everything is okay. But we often have poor planting conditions, especially in the northern part of the cotton belt. And that's where things like cool germ come into play or seed size or potentially oil content. And a lot of the work we're doing now is kind of looking at multiple parameters, like you mentioned, to see if one really sticks out as more of a predictor of actual field performance than another, or is it a combination of things? And I think that's the road we're going down now, is that it's really not as simple as warm germ and cool germ. Especially with regard to cool germ, you know, there's a lot of variation, not in how that test is conducted, but the results of it. So you could take multiple samples out of the same seed lot or the same bag and get a fairly wide range of results depending on how it was stored and other things. But you keep in mind, like the cool test, for example, has a qualifier where the radical has to be four centimeters in order to be counted as germinated or not. So, you know, one of the things that we're looking at now is should there be a different threshold? Should it be two or three centimeters? Or are we better off looking at an entire distribution curve when it comes to the radical length and things like that? So maybe refining the cool test or do we need to consider seed size and oil content as part of that equation? Those types of things. The more we dig into it, a lot of times the more questions we raise than answers. But at the same time, we are going down that path. And I think ultimately our growers have really learned that, you know, if we're spending this amount of money on cotton seed, we need to pay a little bit closer attention to some of these characteristics to make sure that we're doing the best that we can do. Yeah, I would add to that, following the lead of the North Carolina Department of Ag, I know the Alabama Department of Agriculture and Industries, they also ramped up their exploration and evaluation of cotton seed lots. So they've done many more times than they've used to do in terms of seed quality analysis. And we appreciate that involvement. I know they've worked in concert with the lab in North Carolina. So I think all together as an industry, we've compelled a closer and closer look and shine the light. And maybe we're nudging the industry along in terms of providing a better quality product. It is a biological product, so it always represents a challenge. And one thing I would commend is some of the work at NC State from Dr. Laurie Snyder, would you comment on her work and her contribution to this whole area of seed quality? Yeah, so she had partnered with Dr. Edmondson and myself early on, and we kind of brought this issue to her, and she is our seed specialist. Her lab is equipped with a lot of germinators and things specific to studying seed quality. So she partnered with us on a lot of that initial work at least from a lab standpoint, and has since evolved into other things. But one of her primary focal points has been VMD, or visual mechanical damage. And she's developed a scale that essentially measures the degree of visual mechanical damage and is currently working on how that ties into both warm and cool germ and also how it ties into performance in the field. 
there are different degrees of it. So, you know, at some levels, we may have viable seed that will germinate, but may be distorted or malformed in some way, like root structure, for example, things of that nature. So she's brought a lot of value to that by studying the VMD component, and she's really taken that and run with it. Yeah, and that does reflect, hey, there is a part of the seed lot that may be mechanically damaged, and where that could have happened upstream, still it affects what the farmer plants on his field. So we've appreciated her contributions there. I'll interject that I've complained about the lack of institutional training in our land-grant colleges and universities in regard to this whole area of seed technology, because the seeds where it's at since the mid-1990s, again, we've escalated seed cost and the value of the seed and the seeds bringing this and this and this to the field. And so we need somebody in our land-grant universities teaching and training the next level of seed technologists. I want to push that along. Do y'all see anybody making progress in this, as far as you know? We are trying. Naturally, we're doing a lot of seed quality research and work, and there are some that do teach at least some components of seed quality, either within other courses or in specific courses. But like you said, there's no centralized institution that dedicates part of their mission towards seed quality training, education, and research. And I do certainly see the value in that, but that's going to take some of those above my pay grade to make that a priority. And I think it's really incumbent on us to speak up about that and why this is an important issue. And that's not something we just need to let fall by the wayside. I'd agree with both of y'all. I definitely think there's a need for it. You know, we've got some great scientists. I mean, obviously, we've talked about Lori. I work really close with Dr. John Snyder, who's done a lot of work on seedling vigor and seed quality and things like that. But we did interview somebody the other day for a position in our department that's going to be research and teaching. And they did put a big emphasis on seed physiology. And so I hope that if they get hired, and decide to take the position that they'll start a course here at the University of Georgia just on seed physiology and how that plays out. And that would be across all crops, which, of course, is definitely needed for everything. And, of course, we're always going to favor cotton, right? So that's what I want her to talk about. But she's going to talk about everything, I think. Absolutely. We care about cotton. And so much can happen in the field with harvest aid applications at the gin in processing and packaging, even maybe in shipping and handling. But sea technology, there's such a great opportunity. So we'd celebrate anybody that tackles that. But let me back up one more time. Camp has the whole focus that's come maybe from the more northerly parts, from North Carolina in particular, focus on seed quality. Has that affected Georgia and Georgia farmers? I would say that Indirectly, it has because number one, I've started like working in the group, of course, and doing some of these projects. I remember last summer I asked a grower, I said, Hey, have you ever planted bad quality seed before? He said, Yeah, but it's been a long time. And I said, Well, will you ever forget it? And he said, No, absolutely not. And I said, Okay, so you know, it's definitely important. And we have had issues in the past couple of years that we come to find out were poor quality seed was planted, but we didn't know it at the time. 
it's kind of like Guy said earlier. I thought that was interesting that he said, hey, there was a lot of things that could have contributed to this, but come to find out the quality of that seed played into it. And so that's one thing that happened a couple years ago. But I mean, I would definitely say that growers are paying attention because there was some instances a couple years ago where they started asking for cool germs and things like that. So, I mean, they definitely are aware that those things can happen. But I will say that it is interesting because I tried to plant our seed quality study last year in April and put it under some cooler conditions. And I planted the same study on June 15th where it was extremely hot and I got the same results. So it's kind of hard for me to say, hey, the cool germ and things like that are what's going to affect us in Georgia. Whenever I see results like that, I'm actually intending to plant my first planting date of the seed quality study this year on Thursday or Friday to try to put it under some harsher conditions because this coming up weekend is going to be a little cooler, overcast and raining. And so hopefully we can put a little more stress on some of those seed lots and get some of those results that the guys in the northern part of the belt are seeing as well. Yeah, one concern I know that folks in the lower southeast expressed, hey, if they're going to screen them in North Carolina and require testing up there on every lot, maybe we're going to get their discards. And I don't know that that's happened, but that's been a concern raised. And I'll echo what you said. In my trials, the quality was good enough to get the stand. And even the seed quality that was probably weakest, though it was acceptable, it still yielded the highest yield because of variety and genetics. If you have a good stand three weeks in in most of our locations, particularly in central and south Alabama, you're going to be okay. The more northerly parts may be challenged some years. So, Okay, we've talked about our first round of studies where we've initiated in camp. You've led a second set of trials across the belt. So kind of talk about that and where we're headed and what we're trying to learn from that. Yeah, so kind of like we talked about earlier, the first test was a survey and we found those results were positive in that about 90% of the seed lots evaluated were acceptable. But now we're really trying to tease out, is there better indicators than warmer cool germ? And so we asked seed companies to provide us seed lots that they knew were good and that they suspected were poor quality. And we got two seed lots of five different varieties. And so we got, ideally, it was a good seed lot of one variety and then a poor seed lot of the same variety. And so hopefully we could catch some of the different things that are going on within a variety in these different seed lots that maybe is contributing to better stand establishment. And so hopefully we're going to get some good results in this second year. Of course, with, I believe it was 14 locations last year from Arizona up to Virginia. And then this year we're actually including a location in California. We're expanding it a little bit this year. But, you know, we took a test on warm and cool German. Of course, that was done in North Carolina. Oil content, free fatty acids, a complete fatty acid profile, oleic acid, linoleic acid, things like that. And then I even took a tetrazoleum test to find out if the seed was alive. You know, so trying to get as much data as we can on these individual seed lots to try and find out what is the biggest contributing factor to stand establishment. And I'm kind of like, guy, I think we're going to have to move a direction 
where we're including multiple things in an equation to figure out what are the biggest contributing factors. Instead of just looking at one thing, we're going to have to start looking at multiple. In this round of studies, as you said, with variety one through five, you had a good lot and a poor lot. As I recall, poor lot may have meant either an extremely small seed or an extremely low cool germ, maybe even extremely low warm germ, right? Yeah, yeah. So some of the warm germs, they range from 77 to 95 percent. And then the cool germs range from probably 18 to up in the 80s. So, I mean, a wide range on cool germ. Seed size ranged from, it was 4,000 seeds per pound up to 6,700 was the smallest seed that we included in the study. And so that's the information that we made the decision on, on what varieties and seed lots we were going to look at. But what's interesting is we even got a call from a company late in the process, and we got one variety, two different seed lots that had the exact same warm and cool germ, and the only thing that differed was seed size. And so even trying to figure out things like that has made this extremely interesting to me. Okay, let's talk big picture, and we've kind of made some comments along, but let's talk about the overall perspective of the cotton industry and seed quality, how do you think we're doing? Guy, how would you respond to that? I will say that the more we dig, the more questions we raise, I think, than answers. So I think what we're discovering is that seed quality is a very, very complex issue, but it's worth going down. It's worth going down this rabbit hole and pursuing this for the betterment of the industry for the reasons we've already discussed. I can say we're making progress, but I can't say we've got deliverables just yet. The one advantage of the Extension's Cotton Specialist Working Group and what we do is that we can generate a lot of data under a lot of different environmental conditions in a short amount of time through this collaboration on this effort. So I have always applauded that and our ability to be able to address these issues in a short time frame. Right now, I say we stay the course on this issue and see what comes of it. And like Camp said, I think we're going to be dealing with a complex issue and looking at multiple components, but we're not there yet. Do we have deliverables just yet? No, I don't think we do, or not many. But are we making progress? Absolutely. How do you think we're doing and what do you think are the most needed areas of improvements in the whole seed quality picture? Yeah, so I would agree a lot with Guy. I think one of the biggest hurdles in this was just awareness and getting everybody on the same page. And so, I mean, right now, it seems like it's a full court press, more or less, with academia, industry, stakeholders, growers. The industry wants to provide a better product, and then we want to make sure that the growers are getting the best seed that they can. And the growers, of course, want to plant the best seed. And so I think that awareness is one of the biggest things that has been accomplished in this effort. But as he mentioned earlier, you know, every time we decide to go down a road and start a new study or whatever else, it begs more questions than we answer. And so it's complicated. And you alluded to it earlier, a seed is a living organism and it changes. And there's a lot more going on in that seed than warm and cool germ. And, you know, to require everybody to test something else right now 
I don't think is warranted. Kind of like Guy said, we don't have these deliverables yet to say, hey, this is the thing that's the game changer with the seed quality, right? And everybody's testing different stuff right now. And everybody's got to test warm germ at least. So that's one thing that we're confident in, I would say. Warm germ is still a good indicator of how seed are going to come up when planted in ideal conditions. But of course, we want to find a better indicator for all situations across the board. And so I think the big takeaway is awareness is kind of what has been the big, you know, plus so far. Guy used the good buzzword in university circles, deliverables. I like that. All right. We've talked maybe scientific circles around ourselves, but let's finish now by talking about how growers should use the knowledge they do presently have about seed quality in approaching planting in 2023. What do you think, Camp? How would you advise a grower with what seed he has in his barn and how should he think about the parameters that he does know about those seeds? Yeah, so I would say comfortably that the majority of the companies out there have a warm and cool germ on their seed lots. And so if you want that information, of course, the warm germ is printed on the bag. But if you want the cool germ, I'd reach out to your seed companies, your dealers, especially, you know, some of the guys across the belt have a shorter planting window than we do in Georgia. And so if you hit a 10-day stretch where you got to get a crop in the ground, then, hey, let's go on and get that information beforehand, right? I've been reading some of Guy's recent blog posts and stuff. He updates fairly regularly, but, you know, you need to have that information and be ready, especially if you anticipate that you'll be planting into poor conditions. And even if not, right, it may help you down the road. And so definitely having that information and moving forward, being ready to plant in non-ideal conditions for sure, because that's the only way you're going to know what to do is to have your warm and cool germ. If you're planting under adverse conditions, are you going to bump up your seeding rate? Or if you've got great cool germ, are you going to say, well, I'm going to ride where I am? What do you think on that? I think it depends on what the test comes back and says, right? I mean, if it's on the low end, I may would bump it up a little bit, you know, because even in our studies, let's say, we planted three seed per foot, of course, in research. Sometimes you do that just to make sure that you get a stand. And whenever I drove by it, looking at it last year, I said, man, we don't have any quality issues with any of these seed lots. Well, then go out and look. And lo and behold, we had 47% emergence in one of them. But 47% of three is one and a half. And I don't think any of us would recommend somebody go replant a stand that's one and a half plants per foot, right? And so if the warm and cool germ are a little off, maybe increase your seeding rate some. But if they look good, I'd feel comfortable doing what you normally do. And Guy may have something different to say with respect to that. We have the advantage of having our Department of Ag has made it a priority to start this initiative a few years ago with the cotton seed testing program that they've done. And it's a very robust program and they're doing a great job with it. So they're going to try to intercept as many seed lots as come into the state as possible, but that's not a guarantee that they're going to intercept every single one. So it's incumbent on the growers to make sure they know the warm and cool germ of their seed. And the way to do that for us is to have our Department of Ag tested. And that'll be not only a third-party entity doing the testing, but it's going to be the most recent test results that they'll have on hand. You got to 
consider the amount of time it requires to complete a test, which is roughly 12 days, assuming it goes right into the lab and is processed and enters the germinators. So the big educational effort we've tried to do here in North Carolina is, one, encourage growers to participate in this program and to take responsibility in ensuring that their cottonseed is tested in this program. Now, beyond that, once you get the result, you can make better decisions. So a lot of times what we've seen is warm germ and cool germ can be coupled. In other words, if you have a high warm germ, you may also have a high cool germ, but that's not always the case. There are exceptions to that where you can have a very high warm germ and a fairly low cool germ. So two things here. One, we try to educate growers to not look at warm germ and cool germ the exact same way. They're reflected in terms of percentage, but you can't really look at both the exact same way. There's more variation within the cool test, not in how it's done, but in the results of it. So you can have a wider variability or range in the results of the cool test. So with warm tests, we can have a little more confidence in its repeatability under ideal conditions in the field. Take that into account. We often do not have excellent planting conditions, especially in the early part of our window. And our planting window is rather narrow here compared to other states in order to meet insurance deadlines. So the early part of May can be really good planting conditions or it can be really poor. And we have seen poor conditions last the entire planting window, although that's rare. So what does that mean for us? So if a grower has, let's say, six or seven different lot numbers that he's going to plant, try to navigate through the planting window and plant certain seed lots according to the planting conditions at the time. So a larger grower is going to have to plant at some point. So usually here... We can wait around for better planting conditions that first week of May, maybe even the second week. But by May 10th or the 15th, most of our growers are going to have to go at some point if they're going to get it planted in time. So that's where all this comes into play. If I'm planting in the marginal conditions, I'm going to make sure I'm planting my largest seed and I'm planting the ones with the highest cool germ rating as possible, at least through that window. And then beyond that, if you have a lot that's decent on warm germ, but real low cool germ, that doesn't mean that we can't plant that variety or that lot number. We just need to make sure we plant it under good conditions. So the only way you can navigate through the planting window and make those decisions is by knowing your warm and cool germ. And to do that, you have to make sure that the Department of Ag knows about it and is testing your lot number. So that's really the best way with what we currently have. Now, we also have a planting conditions calculator that can help growers navigate. And it's real time, gives you a rating based on a five-day forecast for planting conditions. And it does that for the day you're using the calculator and the day after. So it's only good for those couple of days. So we encourage growers to check it in the morning and then check it in the evening. And that's because sometimes in the spring, the weather forecast can change ever so subtly, which could influence that rating that that calculator gives you for planting conditions. So if there are little subtle changes like that in the forecast, because we all know that the springtime weather can be fairly fickle at times, 
we encourage our growers to check it twice a day for that reason. Now, if the calculator says planting conditions are poor, I don't advise planting cotton at all during that period. I don't care what the seed quality is. But if it's rated as marginal or adequate, that's where we're going to pay real close attention to cool germs. If it's rating as good or very good, then we're kind of home free and can plant most, if not all, of it at that point. So anyway, those two different tools, the seed quality database that's housed with the Department of Ag and our planting conditions calculator collectively can help a grower navigate fairly well through the planting season with what we know at this point. Yeah, those are great comments. I would just say, as you have already said multiple times, know what you got, knowledge is power, and adjust accordingly. Well, thanks for joining us for this session of the Cotton Specialist Corner podcast. We appreciate Cotton Incorporated and their sponsorship of our program and their promotion of this effort. And I do appreciate the comments of Guy Collins and Camp Hand. Thanks, guys, and appreciate you joining us. Mm-hmm.